Hello, everybody. Uh, a little uh, look behind the curtain there. Hello and welcome to the Super Show podcast. I am your host, Alex Jones. And with me, as always, is Jamie. Um, I hope I didn't break anything and you were about to tell me. No, no, no. I was actually, well, I was going to say being polite. I, far from it. You, being rude, if anything, as usual. And I was actually in the process of saying, ah, do you know what? I'll tell you after the podcast. Little did I know we were beaming broadcasting out to the World Wide Web. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's the only thing with live. Everything's a little bit, you know, uh, on the fly sometimes. Um, yeah. But thank you, everybody, for joining us once again for the uh, Super Show podcast. Uh, I'm going to give some shout-outs to people that have already joined us. Classic Cat, Shellshock, uh, Magni, Richard Lawton, um, It's Gundam, Kerry Baldino, Brandon Christian, absolute legends joining us in the chat so thank you so much um for being here as this goes out live but we are not just live because this is a podcast jamie and it is also available across uh podcasting platforms i'm talking spotify itunes google podcasts um i think spotify is our biggest platform um these days yeah I mean, if that feels like the thing that most people use for audio purposes, right? Like, you get a few rogue shouts every now and then. Some Someone who subscribed to Apple Music day one to get an exclusive Dr. Dre album and never looked back. And they've spent the rest of their lives trying to convince you that that's the way to go. Um, but if Tidal taught us anything, it's that sometimes you should just stick with what you know best. And for me, for like a decade plus now, that's just been Spotify, baby. Uh, yeah, no, what, do, do you know what? I don't know if it's because I'm just too old, but Spotify, I'm not really there yet with podcasts on Spotify. I am on Apple Podcasts. That's where I go to get podcasts. Uh, Purely because it's on my phone. It's easy to access. I just click on the little uh, So little Spotify. No, no, it's not. It's slightly more annoying because I have to remember. I'm like, oh, where's Spotify? It's not on the second page of my phone. I could move everything around. Hang on a second, though. Where do you listen to your music? On the, the music app. So you're just native Apple across the board. Like, oh, so I see. No, I, yeah, I've got, I've got, um, no, not Apple Music. Sorry, what have I got? I've got Amazon Music because, and the oh only my one, God, <laughs> even the only reason I've got that is because it's connected to my uh, Alexa, which is connected to my Echo, uh, it, the two Echoes in my house, which means that the kids can go, Alexa, play this. Alexa, play that. And so they love that shit. So. Is there a way to reconfigure Alexa so that her default music player is Spotify? Because, like, don't get me wrong, Amazon Music exists. But, like, <laughs> here, here's the thing. I reckon of the millions of people that have Amazon Prime, I, I, there's, it's got to be less than 1% that regularly use Amazon Music as a part of that. Because I get emailed every two days by Amazon being like, look at all the things you pay for that you don't use. And I'm like, yeah, fuck off. I want, my fr- I, want, I, I want next day delivery and an occasional film. And otherwise, <laughs> just stop emailing me. So I'm, uh, and may, I do, maybe it's a parent thing. Like, I do feel like I just abuse Amazon stuff. It's also because, like, so I've got, um, uh, what is it? No, I suppose it's actually not even Amazon now. Is Perhaps. it the, the book oh. thing? Is it all audible? Is that part of Amazon? Did they buy it? I can't remember. Oh, I think there might be a connection there. I think you're right. So I've got, I've got a few Amazon things and Amazon music just seemed to be an easy one. Um, and so I'll tell you the thing with Spotify as well. I always had free Spotify. And then when they did, when they started charging for it and then they would just play random adverts and shit and that would bug the hell out of me. So I kind of just ignored Spotify as oh, a platform. But Spotify has been like that since 
Like I remember when I downloaded Spot, like got on Spot, like it would have been two thousand nine, two thousand ten. That's always how it worked. Basically, like how- basically yesterday, mate. Okay, I'm talking the good old days. I'm going back like the early I mean, days of Spotify. I forget just how old you are, Jersey. Back when you were trying to listen to Spotify for free when you were having a big Atari twenty six hundred session, <laughs> exactly. You know, and they didn't bog you down with ads. Precisely, precisely. Um, but yeah, no, so, so I choose Amazon Music. So that's the one that, and it, like I said, more for the kids. But we are available across all of those platforms because we uh, don't do it ourselves. We use a nice little um, uploading website that does it all for us. And it pipes it out to all those random other ones as well that I can't remember the names of. But but one of the most important ones we have to mention separately is because we're on paisleyradio.com uh, Thursdays at 10 p.m. If you want some pseudo radio goodness, then you should check that out. Um, which I, I still like to think of that as though there's people standing around listening to us through like a something that looks like a radio. Um, I'm sure there yeah. are none. I'm sure there are none in the whole world, but I'm, I like to think of it like that. Just an exaggerated image that you've got in your head of like the world's longest aerial having to basically touch the ceiling to get signal. Maybe even <laughs> someone having to like turn a handle, wind it up just to get some like... Static electricity. Yeah, like, I love I it. The more old school a device that you can listen to this podcast on, the better, I'd say. Yeah, I agree. I, I want someone to listen to one. What do they call them in the war? The wireless, like the box that everyone sat on, oh. like used to listen to stuff on. I was thinking like a gramophone, like the HMV. <laughs> oh, just listening to the Super Show. Oh, man, that's even better. I love that. Yeah, someone's got to be there turning the, uh, the... It's on disc. They've got it on vinyl. I mean, that's the trend, right? If ever we had to do like a, a special edition, we'd have a free 14-page art book, a seven-inch Alex Jones statuette, and uh, the soundtrack to the Super Show on vinyl. What is that soundtrack? I don't fucking know. Jones is going to hum some shit. That should, that should be like a thing, is when you get to a certain size of a podcast, which we are very far from, um, as a special thing, they put your biggest podcast you've ever done onto an actual vinyl and then like mount it for you and give it to you like one of the golden, like a proper like golden record. That would oh, be I see. Sick. Yeah. Like sick. if there were, if there were one unified, so in the same way, YouTube can afford to give out um, their plaques. What do they call them? Uh, the, the, you know, you have like the buttons. silver and gold, the buttons. The buttons yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But in the same way, YouTube give out buttons. If there were one sort of like ubiquitous podcasting app, then like maybe they could get into that space. But otherwise, it's all just a little bit too spread bare, spread thin. Yes, no, you're right. There is there is not one uh, overarching body who sort of tells everybody what to do. Um, but Jamie, that's probably a good thing because sometimes people disagree. Um, they don't they don't follow the same thinking when it comes to certain things in the media. And this week we were treated to something which has been quite divisive because uh, we saw some footage from an upcoming game called Unrecord. That a lot of people in the um, I love saying this because this is what a lot of I don't, I don't know what they call themselves those angry people online you know the main they call the mainstream media they get really annoyed with the mainstream media um, but the mainstream media were saying that unrecord is too realistic um, and that I suppose because it's so realistic it's going to make people turn bad that's always the argument isn't it right it's going to make people turn bad it's a first person yep. shooter sort of game that's going to make people turn bad but um yeah we yeah. saw some footage um from unrecord which is a uh, from an indie developer french studio um called drama which is um yeah very evocative name like they know what they're going for um and 
Yeah, I watched it, Jamie, and I was blown away. I thought that it was... At first, I thought it was, like, filmed. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Like, it's an incredibly impressive demo, and, and I think, much like yourself, most people, myself included, when they watch it for that first time, there will at least have to be a few moments where they do a double take, and you have that kind of split-second thing of, actually, like, that could have just drifted into live action there. Something about the animations and the way the animations were disconnected from the camera's perspective and, and, and a number of other elements that, that we'll get into as we discuss how this demo was put together and, and what makes it look the way it looks. Yeah, super, super convincing and, and a really smart piece of tech. As for the realistic angle, it, that's something that it, it's an interesting debate that's going to probably rumble on for a little while now because, goodness great, like if we thought we had our backs up against the wall in like the 90s when it was the Matrix and Marilyn Manson and South Park, like little did they know the direction we were going. Like it's funny because um, you and I um, obviously have been playing, uh, spoilers for a conversation we'll have later in the podcast, but you and I have been playing uh, Dead Island 2 this past week and we streamed a bit of it on this very channel um, uh, a couple of days ago. And one of the things I kept talking about during that live stream was their system that that well the flesh system as they call it that handles sort of like the way bodies break apart and rip and tear and dismember and disembowel and all of the all of the good disses and it's like actually that's not realistic like bodies don't tear apart like that like blood spurts don't happen like that decapitations don't happen like that but so the idea that someone's making these hyper realistic games with um like these visuals but also accurate depictions of violence and the way human bodies actually respond to being shot at by firearms um i can see why that would be um ready for like fit to be preyed upon by the vultures of mainstream media yeah so um let me i'm going to tell you what i'm going to do first just in case people don't know or they didn't see the footage i'm going to give i'm going to give the steam blurb um of what the devs say that unrecord is okay so they say that unrecord is a tactical shooter where players can expect an immersive and narrative experience and it features complex dialogues innovative game innovative oh my god innovative gameplay mechanics sorry can't talk uh tough moral dilemmas and a unique shooting system um and as you alluded to there they've done something quite nice which is they well or horrible depending on how you look at it um they have sort of shifted the perspective of the uh, the first person camera so that rather than um the one that we're sort of used to it's sort of a lower down more centralized view where you can see um the hands in front of the camera and they kind of move independently so it gives a strange eerily realistic look um and a lot of people have said it does look very uh close to body cam footage which unfortunately has become sort of ubiquitous in this day and age where obviously there's police shootings and things and they come out and say oh we'll release the footage to sort of prove whatever they want to say or you know um so yeah so the game is saying that it's a it's a thriller which is based on uh like a it's a detective novel basically where you've got to follow the narrative and you've got to try and um figure out i suppose what's going on and i'm sure there are twists and turns um of all sorts uh, and so it sounds cool. Sounds like an interesting game. It looks very impressive. Um, we were sort of talking before the pod and saying, if you look at it, uh, a lot of people will sort of straight away say, oh, okay, it does look amazing. But I, you can see the Unreal Engine 5 kind of elements to it. And there are certain things you're like, oh, this is obviously a game. It is not sort of the, not photorealistic, but video realistic. Uh, some people have said it's not too realistic. But hey, yeah. maybe, maybe to mums and dads it is. Maybe mums and dads oh, totally. are terrified. Um, 
Because, like, you couldn't, yeah, like, the, the word that I don't, I, I'm sure it exists in some way, shape, or form, but I hadn't really considered it, but you, that you just said video realistic. But, yeah, there's something about that that I think helps it hit home, because it's almost as though when we start watching a sequence like the one that's been released of Unrecord, one of the first things we do, I think, subconsciously, is we just try and sort of, like, map out, hey, what are we seeing, what's the perspective? And even on a subconscious level, I think there's a part of us now that's like, what device is this, and so on, like, to a... To a certain degree, and like not like being super specific. Oh, like that was shot on an iPhone 11 at 60 frames. But like you look at it, and as you pointed out earlier, you'd say, "Oh, I can tell from where the arms are and where the the handgun is, and the amount of movement and the amount of camera shake that this is a body cam that's probably you know around the middle of someone's chest, and they're moving through an area." And once you've established that you're looking at body cam footage, then your brain can almost make concessions based on what it expects it to look like. So it expects sort of like. The resolution, sure, might be fairly stable, but there might be problems with sort of like digital noise. There might be problems with bit rate. Um, obviously, because they need to be relatively small and store a lot of data, when you're looking at a body cam, the same way if you were looking at like a dash cam or even like older GoPros, you would expect uh, less visual quality in other respects. So right. bit rate is obviously one thing, like I just mentioned, but like you might expect like the highlights to be blown out in some places or the blacks to be really crushed in some places. And the more you can emulate those things that we now subconsciously accept based on the type of video we think we're seeing and the device it was filmed on and maybe the era it's from, the more you can replicate something that says, oh, th I'm not saying that's realistic because it looks like the, the world as I see it. I'm saying that looks realistic because it looks like the kind of images that that device produces. And that's a much think, faster shorthand to realism than photorealism. Uh, and, you know, a lot of FPS games out there nowadays are trying to present the world where, like, oh, no, you're looking through a character's eyes. As soon as you say something different, you're looking through a camera that's attached to a camera's chest. I think people's, you know, the whole, literally, the perspective change. And I think the, you know, the benchmarks get moved and you're allowed to, uh, you allow yourself a bit more wiggle room to achieve something that's, yeah, a little bit uncanny at times, for sure. It's such a good point. I hadn't even considered it because, it, because of course, like we had the discussion last week about the fact that Redfall was going to launch without uh, without 60 FPS and like people have reacted to that. But obviously with a game like this, you could legitimately launch it at like 20. And then if people complained about it, you could say all the body cams worn by police officers in this kind of situation have 20 FPS um, on them. Like they, they don't handle, you know, anything higher than that. So we would make it unrealistic if we did. And then of course yeah. you could do such amazing things with the graphics then because you haven't got to try and get to a stable 120 just to keep people happy or something. Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a damn good point. I hadn't even considered it like that, which makes it yeah. eminently more achievable. Yeah, totally. And then, of course, like you have to give props to Unreal Five, Unreal Engine Five, right? And like the the fact that more and more people are getting their hands on uh, Nanite and Lumen and the technology that would allow the you know high end sort of like uh, ray tracing and path tracing, and and we're going to see more and more. Much like we talked about, hey, you're going to see more and more you know really good looking games come out of China that you've never heard of when uh, when like a couple of titles were shown off within the short space of each other. We're going to keep seeing things like this. We're going to keep seeing demos and 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 you know tests and and like you know in, like environment walkthroughs that you're just like that yeah that that are going to properly enter into that uncanny valley and trick some people into thinking they're they're live action. It's just because UE five can do a lot of that heavy lifting now with a and if you're careful about how you present it, then it's going to take it that extra mile. 
Yeah, I should say, so the reason that this um, this was in the news so much was because uh, the co-director and programmer, Alexandre Spindler, um, posted it to Twitter. And I think when, as a time of recording, it was up to like 40 million views. So a lot of people saw this, were like absolutely blown away. Pro- probably in noticeable part, because of the fact that on Twitter, it wouldn't be that surprising if someone had posted some body cam footage of a actual uh, police officer like in the similar sort of environment. And I'm sure a lot of people were just taken in by the fact of they weren't sure what they were seeing. So they watched it. And when they realized it was a game, were probably like, holy shit. Mm. Especially if you're not, you know, if you don't regularly play games, if you're not as attached to that, you know, what's possible these days, maybe, you know, you probably, well, if I showed this to my parents, like I get, they'd be like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Like if I showed them anything on Unreal Engine 5, they would genuinely sort of be amazed. Oh, yeah. Them. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's kind of exciting in some respects, but it's interesting when you get a story like this, though, because, like, where do you sit on, like, for as much as we can praise the technical side of things, where do you sit on the drama side of things and whether or not there is, like, an ethical uh, you know, decision to be made when it comes to what have been described as hyper-realistic depictions of potentially extremely sensitive um, subject matters, even though video games have, you know, a well-worn history of uh, exploring, um, you know, potentially sensitive subject matters as as their love affair with wars um, often uh, demonstrates. Yeah, and I, I think it's, someone I think in the chat mentioned it. It's this is this a conversation that we seem to have every few years. Like there'll be something happens. Like it happened with Call of Duty: Modern Warfare, the remake, when um, you had. Um, the what I can't remember the name of the mission, but where you go up in the walk up into the townhouse in Camden, um, and people saying it's and you had those uh journos coming out like shot some shocked and some like it's too realistic, and some just be like, Oh, it's incredible, they've done an amazing job, and yeah, yeah. So, I, I think we're always going to get it right, it's always going to happen. I, I will quickly go to the Daily Mail article just because it's fun to um see what some people are saying over there because, um, unsurprisingly. They're not too happy about it, Jamie, because they say that it's too realistic and this is not the time in America to have this kind of game coming out. It's French anyway, but, you know, whatever. Um, And one Twitter user apparently said, this game gives real credibility to the nonsense politicians have been spewing for years about video games conditioning young people. Well, but this is the thing I was going to ask, right? Because, like, yes, you're right, it is a cycle that people like us who play and enjoy and have a rational and sensible relationship with video games will continue to go to bat to defend video games against those who try and create a link between uh, depictions of violence in video games and acts of violence that are uh, that happen in real life. But at the same time, like... For as much as we you know joke about how long that battle uh, like how long that battle's been rumbling on for, you look at kind of like the checkpoints of which the, you know the, uh, over the years from you know going back to Doom and stuff like it, Doom and Quake, and then you move forward into like like early GTAs and and well even more recent GTAs and Manhunt, and then you move forward to you know both Modern Warfare's in in in, in their own way, right? Well, Modern Warfare Two and then Modern Warfare One Twenty Nineteen. There is definitely an argument, though, that for as much as it's the same conversation happening over and over and over again, each time we are moving closer and closer to cl- and closer to depictions of violence that will one day be indistinguishable from the real thing. Yep. So even, or at least to certain, uh, un, perhaps untrained eyes. Um, and it, does that become a problem? I don't, I don't think we're that far away from that, like, in relative terms. I think you're absolutely right. It will be indistinguishable. And... I suppose I suppose that you get to the point of like then it's do the audience want it 
Because if you get to a point where you could effectively have something which is on par with an actual snuff film, then you're right. then that's that's probably the point at which um, the the audience are going to be the ones to step because most people are not going to want to see that. I think there will be a, 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 a there will be some large. Yeah, bro. I, I know. I know. We've already established that, that, that it's a different kettle of fish, and I'm not trying to necessarily draw com, you know, comparisons between the two. But if you go and look at the comment section under any Dead Island Two video right now, especially one that's focused on the flesh system or the gore and so on and so forth, like there are people who want that shit in VR. Like there are certain people out there, certain kinds of people, I guess, who are like really eager to have the most like visual like the visually accurate and the most graphic depictions of violence and the most not not it's almost not even from a sadistic thing it's almost like from a cohesion coming from a cohesion perspective like they want the most realistic response to their actions but through the through the means of violence and i think that that's why that's why when we do get to like video game snuff film territory i think there will still be a perhaps disturbingly large audience maybe in dark corners um but yeah, but I could, I could be wrong. I don't know. May, maybe. I mean, I mean, you're probably right, but then at the same time, I'm like, there's a reason. Like, films could do it now, but films seem to use it, like, the biggest films use it sparingly. And I think if the argument was, oh, no, there's, there's a real... Like, body horror um, is obviously something that's been around for quite a while, and they are not the most popular genre of films. They're not making hundreds of millions of dollars. I, right. I, you could now get to the point with the fidelity of graphics and things. You could probably make things that look as good as a snuff film would do anyway. Um, yeah. But they don't do it. And I think the reason they don't do it is because there's not that much money in it. And I, I, I can't imagine that video games would be that different by that point. And also, if your kid turns around and says, oh, I'm playing this game in VR, you can be like, little Timmy, we need to go and speak to somebody because you shouldn't want to be playing this. It's not very nice, is it? Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like, I still remember when uh, my brother had a tablet and like, I guess technically, well, he was playing Minecraft. I'm not sure if it was technically the first video game he'd ever played. But he was like hiding the screen away from me, like he didn't want me to see what he was doing. And when I looked to see what he was doing, he was just going around the world, no like mining, no crafting. He was just killing cows, just only <laughs> killing cows. And like there was, a, he he clearly felt a sense of shame. Like there was this even a tiny amount, but like it was still present, a, a sense of self awareness. Like I shouldn't be just going around killing cows, but this is what I want to do. Um, <laughs> I suppose the problem. I suppose the problem is, and this is a good. Your, your cow thing is a good point. When you can get to the point that a video game, when when there's a version of a video game which looks as realistic as possible, and you can, it's not, it's indistinguishable from real life, and you're watching a video of someone killing a cat, like in a game, and people are choosing to watch that, and they're like, no, no, I want that in my games. I I could see at that point, I would be on board with saying these need to be age restricted. I would never be right. like, oh, I couldn't. I would never be like, oh no, this is because um, with you know, time and time again, they do the old. Do video games have any link to violence? And time and time again, it's like, no, this has been shown time and time again. It's not. So yeah. we know it's not. However, would I want my kids just being able to pick up any old game and have a, a video, realistic video of them chopping up a cat? Like, no, I'd. It yeah. should be limited to adults, you know, over a certain age. But you know, I, I think that also like what, like one of the things you make me think about there when you talk about that scenario is that. Will there continue to be the positive correlation we assume there will be between how realistic these depictions of violence are in video games, and and like what how our brain manages and processes those images and how realistic we believe them to be? Because 
that I have never come across a game that through any kind of violence or adult content that I that I cannot play or cannot handle. I've never seen any like depiction of like gore or blood or violence or like I said dismemberment, disembowelment, like decapitation, anything in a video game that has made even made me like remotely uncomfortable. I'm more likely to laugh than anything else. But like right. you just mentioned cats. I remember when I started watching Don't Fuck with Cats on Netflix. Yes. And it's that first episode and I wasn't I, I think looking back, it was like, of course they they weren't going to. But there was a split second where I wasn't 100% sure if I was going to see the cat, cat suffering. And I was so frightened about the prospect of seeing the cat suffering, I was like almost hiding from my screen because I, I don't want to see that. And it's yeah. like, if we get to that point where video games can depict that in hyper-realistic fashion, will I have that same emotional connection? and like, a, Or will there be a disconnect there where... I know it's virtual and I know it's not real, so now I can look at things I otherwise wouldn't have been able to, which you could argue I do already. Like, I have no yeah. problem watching, like, create the most realistic video game in the world and put it, like, spawn an enemy in front of me and put a shotgun in my hand. The first <laughs> thing I'm going to do is blow that fucker's head off. But if you sent me a live link, link you know, in Discord right now, I'd probably click on it. There's that's um, a Black Mirror episode, isn't it, where the people are playing the games, and then it turns out that they're actually looking at uh, body cam footage of people who are wearing like they're oh, controlling God. people with headsets on, and they are running around killing real people. Hang on, don't they stole that from the Gerard Butler film Gamer. <laughs> um, isn't that the plot of that film? Yeah. Where like ki- kids controlled prison inmates, but like for them it was a video game, but it was actually real. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Maybe they did steal it from Gamer. Shout out to the 2009 smash hit Gamer starring Gerard Butler. Um, wow, that's one I've got to go back and rewatch now. <laughs> but hey, look, shout out to On Record. Um, it looks incredible. It looks amazing. Um, and looking forward to playing that game. And they are right on my street at the moment with the detective, twisty, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. Like that is, I'm on a kick. Totally. I'm on that kick at the moment as I've been playing Judgment and I've uh, been doing some other stuff. So I'm, I'm all about oh, yeah. that. I like how you just said, like almost slightly ambiguously said, and I've been doing other stuff. The implication being that perhaps you've been doing some detective work in your private life. I would love to. I would. I would do that if if someone reached out to me and was like, "We're looking for a private eye," and they, your experience on uh, as a as a yeah. YouTuber and editor is, gives you prime play. I'd be like, "Yeah, man, give me a camera. I'll get under the it. case only you can solve, Mister Jones." I feel like that's a fake job as well. That I've seen it in films, and it's not really a real job. And that would make me sad. I want to. I want to put a disguise on, have a reversible jacket, so when someone knows I'm tailing them, I can walk around a corner, flip the jacket around, change the hat, and then come out looking like a different human. And then they're like, "Yeah, I, I think that'd be cool." But- it would be cool. You're right. I feel like films play it a bit fast and loose, yeah, with like detectives and retired detectives and private investigators and journalists turned private investigators and and all the all the above, but. Hey, you you can fill out your fans, fulfill your fantasies one day, Jonesy. I'm, I'm, I think it's possible. I just, I just do it anyway. I won't I won't get hired. I'll just sit around watching people and taking pictures, and then I'll get arrested for being a weirdo. So maybe I won't. Yep. Maybe I won't do that. Then comes a divorce. Then you have to come and live at my place, and then um, then all of a sudden this podcast uh, isn't remote anymore. So that's Ooh. what we're working towards, folks. Um, watch this space. It's a brave new world. Um, well. Jamie, hopefully we don't need to live together. But if we do, we're oh. going to need some light because, um, you know, we can we'd be able to see what we're doing. And there's an awesome group of people that keep. I don't mind doing in the dark. <laughs> there's an awesome. I, I need the lights on. And there's an oh, awesome okay. group of people um, who keep the lights on. Uh, they are our patreons who support us over at 
patreon.com forward slash super show. Um, there are some names on screen right now uh, of some of these amazing people. Um, and I would also like to give a shout out to some of them. They are Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Brimstone, Cole K, Davnat Coburn, Ice Not Rock Salt, Jesper Camdown Nielsen, Leo Merger, Mindful Pig, Mr. Anthropic, Pastors Guild, and the big dogs, the members of the board. I'm talking Brett Z, aka Shellshock, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Book Read, Manuel Guerrero, and Peaswad. So thank you, uh, you absolutely amazing, wonderful individuals. Um, we are uh, glad when you join us every week for this podcast, even if you don't, even if you only come every now and then. The fact that you support us goes you know, a little bit further to uh, keeping us doing what we are doing. And today, I'm going to um, just give you a little warning that you will be able to follow up this show with a cheeky little um, Patreon exclusive, which we'll be putting out probably tomorrow. Um, we're going to get to the end of this show. And when we say goodbye to everyone on the live stream and onto the podcast, there will be some Patreon exclusive content, which will be available to our $5 tier and above uh, supporters on um, on Patreon. So look out for that in uh, the next day or so. Um, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, but Jamie. Yeah. I need to know. And I already know one of the games, but I need to know what you've been watching um or playing in the last week pretty much just playing to be honest and i think you already know where this is heading because i've already mentioned it like two or three times tells you perhaps how much it's on my mind uh dead island 2 obviously dropped uh last week well actually not even a full week ago it dropped on friday so it's just had its first weekend on on wide release um um, I want to give a also a shout out to uh, to Playon and and in particular our friends at Playon UK uh, who did uh, provide us with a code um, which you know allowed us to get stuck into the game a little bit early and also you know made a made our co-op session that we streamed the other day possible. Um, so thanks to them. And fortunately, um, I can say that I've been having a very good time with it. Um, I am probably I oh God I don't know how many hours in I am now um, because. I've kind of lost track of time. I know that I'm, for example, I feel like I'm about two thirds of the way through the story, um, somewhere, but somewhere between a half and two thirds, let's say. Um, and I've been doing side stuff as and when it pops up. It's sort of in a way that, like, oh, if it makes sense to go there, and uh, th then I might do it. And then recently, I, I don't know if this is considered a spoiler or not, but I, I, I was recently I unlocked uh, fast travel, which meant going back to other areas that I'd already sort of semi-explored and finding new things to do there is something I've started doing a little bit more of. Um, but yeah, like, uh, uh, Tony, obviously you've been playing it as well, so feel free to sort of jump in with your thoughts. But um, I'm kind of, for, like, I understand it's a relatively simple game. Like, I think the thing that people would have seen plastered all over, you know, headlines and, and video game outlets for the past week is that this is like that classic seven or seven and a half out of ten, and it's sort of slightly stuck in a bygone era or a bygone decade and but that's not necessarily a bad thing and like i do generally speaking agree with a lot of that sentiment that like, there is a simplicity to dead island 2 that is both um well is what it is it's both simple but it's also kind of welcome in sort of there's in like a bit of a, a, a nostalgia like a warm fuzzy feeling sometimes to a game that's as simple in its design as as, as di2 is um but i also think there are parts of this game that are incredibly ambitious and I, I actually, the more I play it, the more I feel like I wish there were a few more people giving props to uh, the team at Dan Buster for um, some of the amazing work they've done here. I think particularly the visuals and performance when sort of like married together and, and looked at as a whole package. 
like really quite remarkable. Um, I don't think it's a, quite a native 4K. It's like technically like a native 3K, um, but that presentation is sort of locked um, in, in order to make sure that it runs at a locked 60 frames a second on PS5 and Xbox Series X. But from what I understand, like um, performance is also pretty stable all the way down through the console chains, all the way back to the original PS4 and Xbox One, where it runs at a locked 30. Um, and I, but I also think like visually, it's got kind of like quite a nice look. Like yeah. it's it's like it especially in daytime. Like I've heard some people described it as sort of like slightly washed out or flat, and it does have a flat. But that feels like, and I'm not just making excuses. That feels like an aesthetic, and there is this kind of like sharp, kind of like polished, bright sort of like overall sheen to everything that for for me, I, I find really attractive. Yeah, they were, I, I kind of had the same experience. It would be really easy to take a game like that and to put like a kind of uh, post-apocalyptic brown, like g- dirty aesthetic onto everything and say, no, this is, it's grim and dirty and it's the end of the world. But they've kind of gone with some of the, um, uh, probably some of like the, the energy from the initial game, which was, no, you're on like an, an island and it's bright and it's, it's colourful and things look nice. And they've they've maintained that. But like you said, they've, they've got a bit of a an aesthetic there. So it doesn't feel... Um, it doesn't look like totally weird and plasticky. It it just it yeah, it looks nice. It looks it looks crisp, but it also fits and the like we said, the flesh system um as one thing that jumped out for me from playing so far has been something that definitely oh, yeah. is a, a cool thing to include. Um even if it is a bit grim to some people, is uh, it's a fun addition to um to that sort of game. Oh like I, I think it sort of takes that combat up to the next level because while I think the the the, you know, the the variety of weapons is is about what you'd expect for a game like this. The extent to which they can be modified and upgraded and experimented with again is pretty standard for that. I hate like the zombie action genre. I guess even if you go back and include like third person games like Dead Rising into that, most of us are familiar with the idea at this point that if you have a weapon at some point you're going to be able to make that weapon like electrified and it will zap <laughs> yeah. zombies when you hit them. Like we've all done it before, we're going to do it again. I think the flesh system is what just takes it up a notch because so for anyone that hasn't seen it or like seen a video on it or seen it talked about it's the fully location evisceration system for humanoids which essentially means that every kind of like whack of a blunt weapon or every you know slash of a bladed weapon is mapped and sort of like like physically represented on the zombies as you're hitting them and so let's say you were using a a knife or a sword and you kind of slashed along their front you would see that actual slash represented as that sword or that knife hit the body, and also it would tear apart in layers. So there's kind of like a clothing layer, then a skin layer, and then like um, sort of like uh, muscle and 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 sort of all those bits and pieces. There's like a fatty layer, and then all the way down to the actual skeleton. And it kind of results in a number of different scenarios where, like, sometimes you like whack someone or slash someone at a specific point and you're just like oh my god i just like completely opened up the body so that now i can see their rib cage but also if you just like and you might have seen videos of this online i think a few have gone viral already if you just like go to town on a quote-unquote corpse i say that because it's a zombie game they're technically all already corpses in a roundabout sense but you can like take someone from a fully fleshed out fully modeled fully clothed zombie character to just like a weird, like gory skeleton with the mm. tiniest bit of like gristle and sinew left on their bones, um, and it is, it is, yeah, like startling at times, and like when it's one of those things when you stop to notice it and just how effective it is. I think 
uh, yeah, like I said, everything I really think it levels up that combat. So huge props to the team for putting in the work for making it what I think is like it, it's in the conversation for my favorite gore system in any game ever. I know people love to talk about you know your soldier of fortunes or your postals or your fallouts, but like this is the bee's knees right now. Yeah, I think I had a lot of fun when we were doing our live stream. Um hitting people with my electrified spade which just effect, like made them explode almost every time and then yes. you can, yeah they just suddenly there's just limbs everywhere and rib cages and every time i hit them in the head i sort of explode their head and they just end up with a brain hanging out the back which is it's, it makes it all the more impressive that how stable the graphics are and how good the game looks is the fact that you can sort of tile that stuff into it as well yeah for sure and i think the other thing that maybe helps with that sort of like the visuals and performance is also one of the game's strong points, which is the fact that this isn't one, you know, open-ended, you know, uh, like never-ending open world. Uh, the game mm. is split up into separate districts or areas that you kind of fast travel between. Some slightly more open, like parts of uh, Bel Air and Beverly Hills that might have like a handful of mansions that you can go into and explore. And then some uh, slightly more closed off, like this one I found that is essentially just a, a movie studio with various sort of sets set up for each movie. Um, and uh, I think, like, while some people I think would hear that and say, like, oh, it's not open world, that's a bummer. I think the way that they've used that to their advantage, both as we talked about with like the visuals and the performance, but I think more importantly in the way they've squeezed so much detail and density in, in, into each of these environments, whether it's sort of like just the set dressing or the environmental storytelling. Like you're going through, like put it this way, after going through a few areas, like I said, that had mansions and each of these mansions felt like they had different sort of archetypes. Like in the first area, there's a mansion that belongs to a retired movie star who's kind of like a Hugh Hefner-style character now. And there's another mansion that belongs to a content house. And like you're going through the content house, and you're like, this is their live streaming room, and this is their podcasting room. And you can find an audio tape that's at the start of a podcast recording that gets invaded by zombies. And you can go to their gym, and there's one of the guys with a gym bro, and you kill him, and you get his key, and you go up to his thing, and he's got a safe, and it's got a... Well, for me, it had like some crazy mason there. and like, like They've put a lot of thought into making all these... Um, the individual components of these areas distinct and detailed so that when I arrived, like I said, on that movie lot and I get this map and I'm like, oh, that's the um, studio that they're filming a sci-fi film in and that's the studio that they're filming an Indiana Jones ripoff in and that's the studio from, like, a, I was like, oh, all of these are going to be extremely detailed and have a lot of character and, um, and, and they did and it's sort of like, it's continuing to match that pace as, as I continue to explore that game and I, again, I, I think that's very commendable. And I prefer that to like a far less detailed, far more muddy open world. No, agreed. I, I'm exactly the same. How do you? How are you finding it in respect to the? Um, so one of the problems I had with Dead Island One was it became very fetch questy quite quickly, and it was something that definitely made me fall off it. Um, how have you felt from that angle? Not too bad. Um, it's not too bad, but I think you know your mileage is going to depend on the extent to which you have the patience to continue killing zombies, and the extent to which the kind of the weapons you're finding and the abilities you're unlocking are uh, you know fueling your excitement. Because yeah, like you said, it's a Dead Island game. We've already talked about how it's not you know super complex in terms of systems or design or anything like that. And so, if I'm let's say six to eight hours in every quest that I get will still largely revolve around going to a certain area and you know killing the zombies 
the, uh, between A and B, and I'm probably killing a load more zombies when I get to B. And what's waiting for me there? Like, a new NPC, a conversation. But, like, yeah, everything in the game revolves around moving around this map, having conversations, and clearing areas of zombies. And if there are other things along the way, they probably involve finding a circuit breaker and putting it in a box and restoring, either restoring power to something or taking power away from something. Um, <laughs> right. You know, it, it, it doesn't have a particularly deep toolbox, but at the same time, I, and again, this is why I said mileage may vary. I'm however many hours in, and I still will go after this podcast recording and spend a few more hours tonight, like chopping zombies' heads off with a claymore. I want to do that right now, and that's why I can continue to play this game. If you get bored of killing zombies after hour two, yeah, you're you're out of luck. <laughs> it makes me a little bit sad. Why? Uh, because I was going to play it a number of times um, over like the weekend and stuff, and I was like, no, I, I shouldn't because I want to play some more of Jamie. And without even telling me that you were logging in to play any, um, so I'm I'm still at the same point at which we stopped playing it. Oh, I, I didn't uh, realise we had some unspoken <laughs> pact about not progressing. Uh, well, it was unspoken. So obviously you didn't hear it. Um, I, so there you go. There was also one thing in my mind, which is that... I'm, now, I'm, now only, I'm just messing with you. I'm only joking. I know, but I can, this is all... Uh, everything I'm about to tell you is, is true. Because um, you, you already know because you experienced it with me on the, um, the weekend where in joining your game, I missed about 10 minutes of content and I was paranoid about what that content included and whether that you know, meant I didn't get something that I should have gotten, so on and so forth. You restarted um, the game. I thought about it. <laughs> Seriously thought about it. In the end, I didn't. Um, I did go back and watch a bunch of YouTube walkthroughs to see a few different variations of what happened in that 10 minutes to see if I missed anything important. Right. Um, but what I did was I looked up the way co-op worked, and essentially um, they have got a system in the game where you can't use co-op as a way to skip uh, story content. So when two people are out of sync with one another on the story... The person yeah. that's further ahead has to join the person that's far behind. And I said to myself, right. if we're doing co-op, I don't want to... Because the other thing is I hate live streaming and trying to pay attention to the story. Because I talk, because inevitably you talk over cutscenes, you talk over dialogue. Yeah. And I said to myself, if I'm doing anything on that stream, I want it all to be shit I've already seen. Okay. So the objective was to get as far enough ahead that I am completely of sound <laughs> mind by the time we we play some more. All right, okay. So the, uh, uh, no, I appreciate that. That's that's fine. Like, yeah, no, I'm exactly the same. When I'm live streaming for whatever, I just can't take it in as much. I don't so even take in like the missions. What I'm supposed to be doing on a mission. Like we were playing. It's like I think I said to you at one point. Like I've got no idea who this chick is. What I'm supposed to be oh, doing. Right, yeah. What she's going on about. Uh, and yeah, so no. Um, okay, because um, uh, yeah, for anyone who joined our live stream um, and wants to see a little bit more, Jamie and I are. Um, uh, we're planning, hopefully, um, all things being equal, to do some more live streaming of Dead Island 2. Um, so I hope you guys can join us for that, and we'll let you know when that is going to be. Hopefully, it might be Friday this week, but don't hold me to that. Shit Fingers happens. Crossed. Shit happens. Yeah, we'll, stuff we'll, see, we'll see. Um, But from one sequel, Dead Island 2, to another sequel, because we had a sort of a sneaky little announcement um, from Guerrilla Games uh, announcing a sequel to last year's Horizon Forbidden West. Um, 
not so much like an, an actual sort of like, it wasn't like a name announcement. There was not like a logo story, anything like that. Um, but there was some news um, released that director Angie Smets was moving from her position um, to head of development at PlayStation Studios. Uh, she's been with uh, Gorilla Games for the last 20 years and now she's stepping away. Um, this, is, this is a promotion for her. Obviously, Gorilla Games are part of PlayStation. Um, so she's being... Uppered, I love that. It's what Carl Pilkington said once. And uppered. He, he's been there. She's been uppered. He couldn't remember promoted. Um, so yeah, she's been uppered Good. to um, uh, a more senior position. Um, and in the announcement for her, the fact that she was she was moving, um, they did say that. Uh, I have a quote here. I'll see if I can find it. They did say that um, we have full confidence in our new leadership as they steer Gorilla towards a bright future, expanding the world of Horizon with Aloy's next adventure and our exciting online project. They, in this case, being Joel Eschler, mm. Hella Schmidt, and uh, Jan Bart Van Beek, um, who are going to be taking over as co-directors. So, Love yeah. It. Can I jump in, not to talk about uh, Gorilla or, or Horizon, but just to suggest a, a Patreon-exclusive strand where you just uh, set up a mic, hit record, and just say Dutch names for, like, <laughs> an hour straight. Hold on, this isn't no. You see, you've got like Dutch friends, so you can do them better. What was wrong with my Jan oh, no, Bart I, Van Beek? I, I, that's the thing. I liked them. I particularly say the surname of the middle uh, person again. Schmidt. Oh, it's good. What? You, what? You, you did it with more emphasis first time around. You were like, "Hello, Schmidt." Schmidt. Like, <laughs> yeah, you properly shushed it up. And I liked it. Well, thank you. <laughs> are there are there any Swedes in here? That's what I need to ask, isn't it? Before any I do Swedes that. in the chat. Any Swedes in chat? Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, I suppose we're not that. It's not that surprising. I think there was already there was murmurings all along that uh, Aloy's adventures were going to be a trilogy, um, and so we probably shouldn't be surprised. I have not finished uh, Forbidden West because I got super ill with the evil evil disease just as I bought right. it, and so I and I couldn't play it. Like I remember seeing that multiple times, so I won't bore people. But I literally couldn't play the game. Every time I tried to pick it up, I felt really weird, and I had to stop playing. I, I ended up just watching really shit TV for like three months because anything more than that, I'd get too excited, and it made me feel really ill, which is weird. But uh, yeah, I'm a- so I need to go back to it and actually to finish it because I I'm a fan of um, of Horizon, uh, and so I do need to do need to get in there. Yeah, it was a, it was a really good game. Like it was one that I think. People were, if anything, a little bit too quiet on, especially by the end of the year rolled around and it kind of fell into that trap again, didn't it? Where um, Zero Dawn obviously clashed with uh, Breath of the Wild and then Forbidden West obviously clashed with Elden, Elden Ring. Ring. yeah. So, yeah, talk about two, uh, two heavyweights to go up against. Um, but it was, a, it was a, a great game and, yeah, I concur with what you said that there was nothing about anything that happened to Aloy or the time she spent you know, helping people out in the Forbidden West that suggested there was going to be, you know, no more of her to come in the future. And certainly from what I've heard about the uh, story components of the recently released uh, DLC, I mean, I've heard some people straight up describe that as like a Horizon 3 prologue in some respects. So um, I haven't seen for myself what that means yet, but yeah, that, that, that's, there's no huge surprise. Although it is, a, yeah, a very interesting way to... To, to kind of secretly sneak it out. As for the online thing, though, um, I know that's been rumoured for a while, like, people have been chatting about it kind of behind closed doors, but I still don't really have a good visual, like, like a, I can't really picture that yet. I guess Horizon multiplayer could work, but, yeah, I don't know what that looks like. I'm scared. 
Scared. Why I'm scared. If I if I say this, these four words to you, you, I'll be interested if you can understand why I'm scared. They've said it's going to have a new, unique, stylized look. Yeah, oh my. Okay. Why? That is my first question. It's all, why are they doing it, or why does that make me scared? What? No. Why does that have a? Why does it have a new, unique, stylized look? Like the Horizon games are some of the most good-looking games on the PlayStation Five at the moment. Like, yeah. Why would you, you mess cell with that? Sh- make with like some cell shaded or chibi style fucking Horizon cell shaded. Uh, why bother? Like Prince, Prince of Persia, the shit one that went cell shaded, and it was awful. That's why I'm scared because that's exactly what they're going to do. It's going to be some jank cell shaded dinosaur techie it bullshit. Could look great. There are some. I would say if you go back through the history of cell shaded games or games that are referred to as cell shaded, because I don't really know what the technical, um, uh, you know, definition is, but most of them look very good. And that, you know, it's a recent. Like, look, I, I don't, again, I don't think you'd necessarily call this cell shaded. It's more just like anime. I don't know what you call it. But like, look at Hi Fi Rush earlier this year. Right, like, Hi Fi Rush. Yeah. I think that might be my, in terms of overall presentation, that might be like in the running for my favorite looking game of the year. I thought you were so, going to go with um, Roller. Roller, what is it? What's the Roller one? Roller Champions? No, the other one where you're the, the guy same. who's you're the dude who's trying to escape, and you've got the roller blades, and you're like the shooter. Oh, Roller Drone. Roller Drone. Thank you. That was cell shaded. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and by all accounts, very good. Very good. Um, he had a great art style. Really, really strong look. Again, I don't think any of that jumps off the page necessarily as a direction that Horizon is screaming to head in. I um, know, <laughs> but maybe I, for ease. Maybe because they can't, they want to do a multiplayer thing, and they don't want to put the development time into it. So they're gonna do it, do it something which is more doable than a, in the time scale they've got. Maybe it's super hard to see. I like. I I will say though that I will judge a Horizon multiplayer project more on the function of the multiplayer than on the visual, you know, appearance. Like, is this gonna be some, you know, kind of like? PvPVE kind of thing where like you've got like four groups of hunter gatherers like going after big robot dinosaurs, but then there are also PvP elements in there too. Like maybe like a monster hunter, monster hunter for um, Horizon. That would actually be pretty sick. Yeah, and then you had like Dauntless, which was a way of like gamifying yeah. a co-op version of Monster Hunter. I that hear that. Um, that was fun. That new Exoprimal, I never played that beta, but I think that's obviously PvPV. That's the um, the the unre- it's, it hasn't come out yet, but it's the Capcom game. It's like a four-player co-op game where they're all in mechs. They look like characters out of Anthem, right. and they're just killing thousands of dinosaurs. Right, right. Um, that's apparently PvPV. Gambit from Destiny. Like, there's something there where you can have a game that's kind of like really about four. You know, hunter gatherers of an of an Aloy type killing a giant robot T Rex, but there's also some weird element where, like, oh, you can run over and mess up the other team by stopping them kill the T Rex before you kill your T Rex. See, I, I think they're going to go because they've also said it's it's not going to feature like known characters; it's going to feature a new cast of characters. I'm thinking they're going arc. You're gonna. It's gonna be a a new oh. human that pops out naked and just like a, a a bit of tiny little loincloth, and then you've got to you know shit your way into into um, getting some tech and taming yeah. a dino and being able to ride it. And I'm not gonna play it because I could never play Ark without dying constantly. Exactly. Just yeah. 
it'll be the same thing. You'll watch a trailer and see someone, you know, in Aloy style outfit flying a pterodactyl and shooting a <laughs> minigun and saying, that looks fun. And you play three hours of Ark and you say, all I've done is die and shit myself. Yeah, that's it's me and Ark. It's just that. Yeah. Well, I, sh- I shit myself and then I died and then I died and then I come back to life and then I shit myself. So you know, the weird thing is, Jonesy, I feel like that's everyone in Ark, which makes you wonder, <laughs> is Ark a scam? Like, who are the people the- <laughs> yeah, actually <laughs> doing that? It's just the devs. Yeah, yeah. It's fake. But exactly. Right. They're it's just like putting in a console command, being like, spawn pterodactyl, spawn <laughs> gun. I think we've nailed it. I think that's what Ark is. Yeah. Well, you, yeah, you would never know. Um, but we need to cover off a couple more things because they are not stopping, Jamie. They are pushing hard. Um, with Horizon at the moment. Um, it's not only got the multiplayer coming out, we've obviously already had the VR uh, that dropped. Um, we've got Burning West, which was the uh, expansion that we'll talk a little bit more about. Um, but they also have a Netflix series, which is a working title, um, I believe is Horizon 2047, um, which doesn't have a release date yet, um, but is being talked about at the moment as well. But as I said, the most fun one at the moment to talk about is Burning Shores, which is the expansion which came out last week uh, because yeah. there's a little bit of controversy around there it. Is. Um, I will say at this point, um, anyone who is you know going to play it imminently and doesn't want... I think it's a minor spoiler at this point, and you've probably heard about it. Um, there's been a lot of talk online about a minor spoiler for this, but I don't want to you know not give you the chance to skip ahead um, maybe a couple of minutes, just in case you don't want to hear the minor spoiler. Um, that having been said, you've been you've been warned. Um, some people online have kicked off Jamie because Aloy has a bit of a romantic interest um, toward the, and that sort of becomes physical toward the end of the uh, Burning Shores DLC. But she gets physical with a member of the same sex, and people are not happy because they're like, "God damn, bring in your." what do they call it? Like your woke stuff into my games and making a, making her a lesbian and people aren't happy. Um, apparently. Which, which is the le- the least surprising part in all, in all of this. Right. Um, like, I, like as soon as you see that there's anything like remotely progressive when it comes to a character, sexual orientation, then it's going to get wrapped up in some wider political agenda that's representative of that studio or representative of the publisher or whatever, and that it's forcing that political agenda down people's throats. And um, it is a a, a rife ground um, for people to reveal themselves as as bigots and and homophobic, um, which they often take to websites like metacritic.com to do. I think it's, it's, it's a weird one. It's a little bit of a weird one in the sense of in a game where you often have like, you don't need to go there, like, but then at the same time, it is a journey of her life. So in order well, to exactly, nut touch like, on that stuff. You, you, you could, like, you don't, the whole you don't need to go there argument applies to any plot point of any narrative of any video game or movie ever. Like, I think no. I think I think some games it makes more sense. But I was going to say in this, I think that you've often with the first game, maybe you could have said it with the second game, even maybe. But the time you get to sort of like you you've done, you know, you're getting on for a trilogy. You want to see a full character, and one thing that you're going to inevitably have, and you do with like TV series, with films, and anything like that. At some point, you're going to have a love interest of such of some flavor. Oh, so yeah. the fact they've included this and people are like not very happy with it. It does seem a little bit like what you you, oh. you just want her to unless unless you want her to be out and out like asexual and not be interested in anybody and you want that to be part of the character. But then you get back to the point, which is what you often say to me, which is 
if you want your game to be different, that's a different game. Like they've made a game they've made. That's that's different. Um, yeah. But what the, the, like, the fun thing about this is it has, of course, resulted in some review bombing on Metacritic. And currently um, the expansion sits at a 3.2 with users and an 82 with the critics. Yeah. Um, which, again, it's... Uh, it's uh, not uh, not all that unsurprising. I, I've actually found a list uh, via Forbes of um, if you go to um, read some of these reviews, this journalist or this writer has pulled out um, some of the uh, the phrases that are featured across various user reviews that they found on the website. <laughs> the gay agenda, indoctrinated, push the LGTB agenda, <laughs> ruined right. a great character. Here's one that you just implied, Jen Z. Focus on the story, not the propaganda. Why did it? They make Aloy lesbian WTF exclamation mark exclamation mark sick people and woke propaganda. I was um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna make wild accusation here. Ninety percent of gamers couldn't give a shit, and most of the people who log on to Metacritic to complain about this don't, uh, are people that were never gonna play the game anyway. Yeah, exactly. There's also I I, I would would guess a fairly sizable number of people that hear that it's going getting review bombed and think it's very funny and so go over there to continue review bombing it like it's a like a not quite a streisand effect but there's definitely going to be some people out there who are like you think haha that's funny you know i'll link right I'll yeah, yeah. like it like it, i'll give you a weird example in footballing terms like when a manager of a footballing team becomes extremely unpopular and there is increasing pressure on them to leave their position, it's not uncommon to see a hashtag trending on Twitter, which is uh, their surname and then out. So Jones out, hashtag yeah. Jones out. Um, one thing that you see quite a lot is um, if a team is actually playing quite well and is in a decent run of form but suffers a particularly bad loss, uh, let's say you've won 10 games on the, on the bounce and then you lose 8-0 and it's very embarrassing, other rival teams will start the hashtag <laughs> Jones out knowing that once it starts trending, people will see that and be like, oh my God, these overreactive fans lose one game in 11 and now they want to get rid of their manager? Right. No, they don't. Other rival fans have thought it would be funny to caught that hashtag and make it seem and make it misrepresent the actual feelings of the people who um yeah. are you're probably right I bet, I bet a lot of it is shit posting is people that aren't that you know like if you if you're going to enjoy something some media you're going to enjoy it and if there's something in it you don't enjoy you just move on and you don't like get so um the idea that people aren't going to buy it because who were I, I think that's a minority but the, one of the things that i found most interesting about this and i don't know if there's many how many cases there are of them doing this um is it was one of the first times i've seen that metacritic themselves actually went in and removed reviews um oh, i didn't know that so they removed user reviews um, because it was getting review bombed so badly. And apparently what happened was they went in and they were removing reviews that um, the, the the ones that were just like a zero and didn't sort of reference the game at all. Uh, and they went and sort of took those, a load of those out and they actually got it back to like an 8.0 uh, out of 10 um, from users as well. It then got hit by shitloads more review bombing, um, but then they were more, you know, people were referencing things in the game as well. So for example, they were saying, Oh, this, I didn't like the story, or I didn't like the fact that um, this, or I did some technical issues. So then it became harder to try and differentiate between who was reviewed by yeah. and who wasn't. But it opens up quite a big question for Metacritic specifically, but websites in general as to how do they get to a point in future where they can make sure people commenting or, or reviewing are people oh, who know what they're talking about. It's tough. 
like you I think the perfect system in some respects already exists where the reviews are tied to a storefront like you have with some places like Steam or even Amazon and you can verify that the person whose opinion is being shared purchased the product played the product and so on and so forth and so if you see someone who like yes they bought you know Horizon Burning Shores and they played it for 15 hours and this is their review you're like okay you know at least that they've they've put the time in Whereas like Metacritic is just a, yeah everything it's a little bit too easy to access and easy to manipulate at the moment and I don't want to overreact because I don't want to try and make out that review bombing the user score section of a Metacritic page is a particularly egregious crime. <laughs> yes, but, you know, but you know, it is one of those things that can leave a bit of a sad taste in your mouth when you think that like the further removed we get from this, you know, in in years gone by, the further removed we'll get from the stories and the memories of review bombing. And the thing that will stand the test of time, depending on the, the fortunes of the you know in the, of a website like Metacritic, is that score. And like you know, this is a very weird angle to take on, like game preservation, for example. But like, what if Metacritic scores are a valuable resource to remember how well games were received in fifty years' time? And what if you know someone in fifty years' time is confused as to why people seem to really fucking hate Burning Shores, and actually the review bombing element of it is sort of not part of that? It's a, it's a very small thing in the grand scheme of things, too. And it, I, maybe and it'll go. I, I, I maybe I it'll go the other way. Maybe there'll be historians who study and like write uh, PhD. Uh, papers on review bombing and they were sort of you know in 50 years time they'll be looking at and saying back 50 years ago they didn't like this and that and they they went on and they made it you know made it known that they didn't like it and yeah 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 as to like like metacritic changing the terms of their service like for the time being i don't think it's i don't think it's all that necessary like i think that this, this is for as much as we are talking about it on a podcast and as much as I did refer to people as bigots earlier, a lot of the time it is much ado about nothing. And I think a lot of the times, like, like I think I even, I said homophobic earlier. Sometimes it's not even a question of, like, homophobia. Sometimes, like, people are, for whatever reason, really averse to or really worried about the prospect of however they put, like, politics coming into, like, video games or what, like, how, I can't remember how they phrase it. And this is just the way those opinions manifest themselves and i think it kind of sucks and it's it's especially in a game like horizon where you made a point i didn't even think about earlier like i've spent 100 hours with aloy like unless the twist is that gorilla come out and say she's asexual yeah 100 hours is a logical amount of time to be to spend with someone in a fictional narrative environment to learn a little bit more about which way inclined they are you know, if, if a character existed in cross, it was the main character of ten seasons of a TV show, and they never had one romantic interest. You'd be a bit, you'd you'd just presume they were asexual and get on with it. Aloy could be, but they've decided she's not. That's fine. Um, in, in in a lot of respects, it's even good for the sake of representation. The other thing that I think has been overlooked an awful lot about this Burning Shores thing is that the picture that's been you know shared around the world a million times by this point of the the uh, the the physical intimacy. It's optional. Like it's a dialogue choice. You don't have to. Don't <laughs> right. Have to, you don't have to engage with it. You can say it's been fun, but no, thank you, and walk away. Oh, I didn't realize that. So you could basically say, "No, I'm not into you. I'm not into you. Get out of here." The, the, again, I haven't played it, but the screenshot that I saw suggested that there was a because the choice also attracted controversy because 
this is and this is now we're getting into the real weeds here i apologize <laughs> folks but in horizon forbidden west when you have a dialogue choice it uses these little symbols to represent like which part of aloy's yeah. like fucking psyche she's tapping into and one of them's a heart one of them's a brain and one of them's a fist but obviously none of these um none of the responses that it would be appropriate in this scenario are confrontational in nature but but they have kind of associated the fist symbol with the one that's like and I'm all right. And some people are like, that's a little bit too strong, don't you think? Like for, for oh, just rejecting. You a, could have gone the other way around as well, couldn't you? By accident, you could have thought that she's coming, she's cracking onto you, and you thought, oh yeah, fist, hello. That would have probably got the whatever the opposite of review bombing is. If someone made a <laughs> uh, like a homosexual advance on Ayla and she just fucking sucker punched them in the teeth. No, I didn't. Oh, I didn't mean that. I was oh, going, I, I was going filth, but yeah. No, it's oh, I see. I mean, uh, that would also get it uh, rave reviews from me. Um, as far as I'm concerned, the more girl on girl we get in our video games, the better. And see, the thing, thing is, Jonesy, everyone sits there at night whacking off to the porn, but as soon as it's in their video games, <laughs> they're annoyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They get, they don't like it. <laughs> um, right from, uh, I think today, Jamie. I've got no segue for this, but we're going to finish up with a bit of a random story. But um, no, what you pointed out. Today, come on, look, rewind the clock. Find a segue. I don't care how. Uh, all right. Um, uh, oh, God. If you need me to say th- anything, if you need me to ask you something, <laughs> like I'm, he- I'm here for you. Like I'm not. I don't want to abandon you here. Uh, okay, I've got. Okay, I've got you. I've got you. Uh, so it's good that Aloy is given the option, Jamie. She's given the choice to choose yeah. to do something at the end of the game, to engage in that relationship or not. Um, mm, sometimes agreed. people make the right choice and sometimes people make the wrong choice. And someone who made a wrong choice uh, a few years ago, um, I, I, do you know what? I fucked up because I didn't even write down his first name, but was a, a gentleman by the name of something Bowser, which is a great name. What's his name? Was it Graham Bowser? I can't even bloody remember. Yeah, I've got to get it double check because, of course, there's Doug Bowser, who's the president of Nintendo of America. This is a different Bowser. This is. How did I not write this down? I can find it. Here, here we go. I've got a link. Oh, I've got an article. That Gary. Says Gary that. Bowser. Big Gary B. Gary Bowser made a Gary bad choice. <laughs> yeah, he made a he made a bad choice, Jamie, um, because he was the leader of Team Executor, uh, who um, pirated uh, lots of stuff from Nintendo. And we all know that Nintendo don't like it when people take their stuff because they really like money. Um, and he was found guilty of uh, adapting Switch hardware. Um, I'm assuming for the the purpose of playing uh, ripped off games on your Switch. Um, right and supplying those to people and making a buttload of money uh, in the process. So he was arrested and jailed last year um, for 40 months. I don't know why they always insist on breaking it down to months when it's like, you know, a certain amount. Just It's like three years. Just say three years. People do that with babies as well. It's yeah, like, right. Just say three years. It's a bit weird. Yeah. If they're, if they're under a year, I get it. If it's 40 months, I have to sit there and work out my 12 times tables. And I was never very good at that at school. So, I'm like, so, so, so. so basically three years, right? Let's yeah. say three years. He's been released early though. He's already popped out. He's not done his full, um, his full sentence because he got released on good behavior, which I've never really understood. You put away for bad behavior and then inside you do good behavior and they let you out, which is a bit of a weird But then thing. bad behavior is relative when it comes to like its, its impact on society. Like there are probably a few, like you can imagine the, prison officers like saying that guy he's he's not starting any fights he's not you know swearing anyone he's not getting rowdy and they go up to a cell one day oh you what are you in here for well i'm I'm, i hack nintendo games and they're like 
Get the fucker out of here. Like, what's he doing in here? I, I bet part of it, I would, and I, I would be convinced by this, he said, do you think it's fair that people are paying £60 for Mario Odyssey still? And I'd be like, yeah, you're right. That is expensive. I it's can- never gone on sale. For £10, I can get you Mario um, Mario Kart 8 or whatever the hell they're on now. And you're like, oh, £10. That's a pricey game. I wouldn't mind playing that and giving it to my kid. Anyway, he did get released early because of the good behavior. He's out now. Um and had a recent interview with a YouTuber, Nick Moses. Um, and they were sort of talking about the agreement and how this has worked out, what he still has to do. Because whilst he's been let out, he still owes $14.5 million to Nintendo. Um, and something that sort of got picked up in the news is that Nintendo have been told that they can get um, 25 to 30% of his gross monthly income effectively for the rest of his life. Uh, so that he's going to be paying through the nose um, for, forevermore, probably. In all likelihood, right? Because like, you, you and I were talking about this just before uh, we went live and talking about how, well, yes, he has to pay. Like A lot of people are going to frame this as though he's giving up a certain portion of his income indefinitely. Realistically, like that is just how it's been determined that he's going to pay off a total sum. And if he won the lottery tomorrow and, you know, £100 million pounds hit, his, hit his bank balance, then he'd be laughing because he'd pay pay things off with Nintendo and, you know, live live his life, the rest of his life out, you know, in the sun with his feet up. But the reality is, I don't know how old Gary Bowser is. I don't know what his career prospects are and what, you know, like what his background is. But, yeah, we have to look at him and, and imagine this scenario as though he's a regular person. Regular people cannot afford to just you know, jump off the sofa one day and pay a £14.5 million fine. This, much like, say, student loans, will be a question of um, giving up part of your monthly income. And, and uh, yeah, like, it, I, I, don't, I, I don't, again, I don't know what 25 to 30% of Gary Bowser's monthly income will look like if and when he lands a full-time position somewhere. Um, but you've got to imagine that, like, that, that this is something, yeah, he will be paying off for the rest of his life. If it's if it's a if it's twenty five percent, and it's fourteen point five million, then he in theory has to earn um, forty, and then oh my god, six fifty six. <laughs> Quick maths, fifty eight something like fifty eight million dollars in his lifetime to get to the point at which Nintendo will stop taking his income. Right. Yeah, which which is like, not no one, even like, achievable. Like ninety nine point nine recurring percent of people will not do that. And no, he's probably absolutely. in that number. I, he's Gary Bowser. I'm torn on this, okay, because I would say one part of me is like, nah, if he's pirating loads of Nintendo stuff and he's hacking their the Switch in order for people to play this stuff and he's da 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 yeah, he should get done for it. You can't just do that. Obviously, there's there's laws when it comes to um, uh, IP and how, uh, hacking stuff and games and everything. You don't want companies to lose out because then they won't make anything. But some of the numbers do seem a little bit wonky because so he was um, he was done as like the leader of this this team executor who were the ones who were pirating all this stuff. But right. the estimated losses from Nintendo um, were put at sixty five million dollars, and you know the way they've worked that out is to say how many downloads of uh, cracked software were there? Oh, there was this many downloads of there were five downloads of Mario Kart. That's sixty five million dollars. Therefore, um, they've lost out on sixty five million dollars. It is a bit weird because, you know, more than likely those people who downloaded that stuff would not have bought the the main games anyway. Um, And if they had, they might have bought one rather than buy everything available. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, 
it's it, the numbers kind of get pulled out of someone's ass at some point, and I think that is a little unfair. And to put this, like you said, at fourteen point five million does seem a hell of a lot of money for a now assuming he's going to be a normal person to have to pay back. So and this is why I think people are framing this as it's he's going to be paying this off for the rest of his life, which is like yeah. you're just indebted to Nintendo forever. Next thing you'll hear right. is the debt will be passed on to his like family, <laughs> like as kids oh, and God, grandkids God. and stuff. Fucking hell, that would be really rough. And so, yeah, when, when, when you frame it like that, like someone being indebted to a company like Nintendo for the rest of like, their life, that's pretty heavy. There is also the element of, like, to a certain extent, you know what you're getting into. You know, yeah, you broke the law. Yeah, and especially if you're the leader of a group like this, like, that, you know, you, you can't play dumb. You have, to some degree, an awareness of what you're doing, why you're doing it, like, why it is you're making money from it, and, uh, you know, whose pockets you're taking money out of. And you have to be, and that, you know, like, for, for as much as there are incredibly long drawn out stories, whether you go back to like Mega and Kim.com or the Pirate Bay guys who are now having like a movie or a TV show made about them, like, there has, you can't go into these situations without something of an awareness. It's like I always said about movies, like, um, if you're the henchman for like the most dangerous bad guy on planet Earth and James Bond kills you, you took a job as the henchman for the most dangerous <laughs> bad guy on planet Earth. Like, you're Blofeld's, you're a henchman. You're, yeah. You st- you stand next to him with an MP5 while he strokes that cat. Like, what did you think was going to happen? That's the uh, the Clark's uh, um, the Clark's contractors uh, on the Death Star. Have you seen that that from the film Clark? I, I know, I know, I know of the bit. Like, um, yeah, where he says, if you've taken the job to rebuild the Death Star, then you deserve to get blown up with all of the stormtroopers. Well, yeah, um, yeah, to a certain extent, yeah, yeah, it, it is. I suppose the only reason it's a little weird is because I think we can safely say that the majority of people at some point in their life, I would guess, have pirated stuff from in some capacity. And so there's a little feeling of when you talk about someone who's leading a team of people who are, you know, helping people pirate stuff or crack hardware or whatever it is, it's a little close to home because you're kind of like, wow, that's they've actually done him for um, and, and he was only trying to make it available to people that couldn't afford it. But then a part of you is also like, well, hold on. If you're the leader of a ring, then maybe you do get deserved to be done. Whilst people that have downloaded stuff, I would think, like, realistically, come on, like, they don't deserve to be done for anything necessarily. Slap on the wrist if you got caught with, like, if you got caught with a whole bunch of games on your crack switch and you got put in jail for it, I'd be like, that is outrageous. Like, there's no way you should be doing that. Yes, I tend to agree. It's also weird now that, like, as we've been going, I've been trying to. I was desperate to find out, like, who Gary Bowser was. But if he was like some nineteen-year-old, like from like who was just doing this because oh right, yeah. Um, turns out that um, he's fifty-three years old. And if you look at this um, video for, like, as we mentioned from Nick is he Rose massive? YouTube, is he hench? No, he he, he kind of looks like a Father Christmas with a bad hairline. <laughs> what? Wow, that's an image. Yeah. Okay. He's a Canadian citizen. He was extradited to the US to face the charges, where, of course, he was found guilty and found out the extent of the damages that you'd have to pay. Um, They're always the Canadian, problem, aren't they? Uh, yeah, cause, well, that's, maybe that's why he thought he could get away with it, because Canadians have that nice guy image when they're actually all crooks. Um, <laughs> but I, I, Any Canadians I in the chat? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, found, you know what we think of you now. Um, no, you can, no saying please, thank you, and A will get you out of this one. Oh, speak for um, yourself. I love a Canadian. I, I mean, I do too. 
the thing I was going to note was that while I speculated that he might, you know, have some kind of career prospects, even with the fact that he's been, uh, you know, found guilty of certain crimes, uh, he doesn't. He's uh, said that he is not in good financial standing. He will need to apply for. He said that he'll need to apply for emergency welfare and eventually go on Canadian disability due to a leg injury. Um, oh, so, so hold on, it gets even better because now it's the Canadian government who are indebted to um, yeah. Nintendo for the rest of their lives. He affirms that Canada's medical care and disability system should help him out financially. He plans to apply for disability once he reaches Toronto and also apply for emergency welfare to, quote, get a roof over my head and some assistance. Um, so in a roundabout way, the Canadian citizens who took advantage of free Nintendo games will now be paying for those Nintendo games through their tax uh, as they yeah. pay Gary Bowser's Nintendo bill. Okay. And, and he's he's made some progress, Jonesy. Turns out that uh, Gary Bowser did have a uh, a job in federal prison, um, and that job meant a job in prison. Apparently, according to this, yeah. Um, and so Nintendo were taking twenty five dollars of that a month, which means that he was probably making around a hundred around a hundred to one hundred and twenty dollars a month. Um, and so so far, he's paid off one hundred and seventy five dollars in total of his. Uh, 14 million pound, 14 million dollar, uh, whatever, a four, 14.5 million dollar total, 10 million from, from Nintendo specifically, apparently. I, that's, do you know what? I'm, I think maybe he thought because his name was Gary Bowser that it was allowed because of he sort of had inherited some of the, um, Nintendo IP. He's Doug's, he's Doug's brother. This is the, the that he's was, Doug Bowser's the, brother, yeah. That's the other big twist. Stay tuned to the next Nintendo Direct. He's actually going to be one of the guys doing the snapping. <laughs> that would be Imagine if they did that. That would be amazing. Unfortunately, I don't think they're going to have receding hairline Father Christmas snapping anytime soon. Oh, receding hairline disabled Canadian Father Christmas. What an opportunity missed. Maybe they will. I don't. But it's, it's, you know what's it's funny because we talked a lot. Smash Brothers, you cowards. Yeah, he's put him in Smash. Um, it was last week we talked briefly about the, um, uh, was it Midway, the guys who got, in, I think they got hired by Midway. I was, I was telling you the story about with um, Ms. Pac-Man. Pac-Man and yeah. they, they ripped off Pac-Man and then changed the hardware. So they kind of did the same thing and they got jobs. They like left MIT yeah. to become millionaires and poor old uh, Gary Bowser has been stitched up and now he's got to yeah. go on disability. Yeah. For he was hoping to get a job in the sales department to help Nintendo edu- you know, educate them on how to make their games more affordable to the everyman, but it that, just be a backfire. Which is something they do need to do because their game pricing structure is ridiculous. I, I, I should have pulled it up because I was going to mention it, but um, uh, I did see a tweet from somebody who was actually, they, they had some research which was really interesting and it was about sales of games versus profitability versus mm. like total, total amount you can make at a price point for a game. And it seemed to suggest that the best price point for video games, I, I didn't see the year that it said, but was, um, or, or some the market research, like it said, that between $39 and $49 was uh, got the most money back. So effectively, more people bought the games at that price. Oh, point. right, because if so you go over that, more. then if you go over that, then people, you gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So effectively, at $69.99 for a game, fewer people buy it and you end up making less money in return. So it's, yeah, N- Nintendo do need to hire someone like that to say, come on, guys, do you at yeah. least have a sale every now and then? Jesus yeah, Christ. like everyone needs to learn that because Paul Nintendo have the double whammy of not only do they never put their games on sale, first part anyway, but they did just increase the price of um, Tears of the Kingdom, right? Like that's the first notable game to get that price like. So 
yeah, maybe, maybe I don't know, we'll see. Maybe they'll go back down in the future if they start to realise, actually, this isn't paying off. Not only that, they're not even new games. They're just rehashed games from the Wii that no one bought, cause no, or the Wii U, because no one had the Wii U. Yeah. God, yeah, that's, that's, what, that's, one great, that's one great thing about not having um, Chris on the podcast every week anymore, is we don't have to hear him run his mouth about, oh, Zelda, Zelda, Zelda. We could just keep playing real, you know, hardcore gamer games like... Um, like Dead Island 2. <laughs> yeah no we'll get, we will get chris back at some point to uh go on about zelda hopefully in the near future cause yeah we do. and tell and tell us about the how we spent uh half an hour playing elden ring across the last three months combined <laughs> yeah oh i love you chris miss you come back i miss you too come back soon um but hey that is almost an hour and a half and so i think we are going to call it a uh call it a day there the end of the podcast for another week. Thank you so much, everybody, um, for joining us. If you are a Patreon um, and you are $5 tier and over, you will, tomorrow, I'm going to say, be able to check out a little bit of extra thing because we're going to stick around after we say goodbye today and we're going to mention a few other stories um, and then we're going to put up onto the Patreon for you. We're going to quickly talk about Star Wars Jedi Survivor and maybe Lawbreakers making a return. Um but for everybody else, thank you so much for joining us in the chat. Uh, Patreon subscribers, everybody, you're absolutely amazing. Remember that you can um, listen to this on podcasting platforms or watch it on YouTube. Um, and also check it out on paisleyradio.com Thursdays at 10 p.m. Um, thank you, Jamie, you absolute bloody legend. Ah, thank um, you for hosting. Wonderful job as always. Uh, not at all. And now I'm going to have to carefully figure out how I can end this live stream without ending the recording because we need to keep that going. I mean- to be fair, you could end recording and start the recording again. That wouldn't hurt, would it? It might be more convenient for you. Uh, yeah, that would be more. I'm going to do that. All right. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> hey, just call me Mr. OBS. Indeed. Especially talented when it comes to recording software. <laughs> Cheers, everybody. See you soon. Bye. Bye.